Welcome to It Is What It Is, the podcast, with me, Danielle Bridge. On our show, we catch up with guests to talk about all sorts of things, including our job, mental health, relationships, and basically everything that we humans experience as we navigate through life. I'm super excited to be able to share this episode today. I had the most amazing conversation with Linda Green, mother, ambassador, and champion of parents living with children with special educational needs. As mum to Olympic gold winner, Johnny Peacock, Linda talks about stigma around disabilities and the fight for equal opportunities in education. Um, I have a wonderful guest here with me today, wonderful because we've done a lot of work in the past together but we also have the most amazing conversations and can talk for hours. So um, it's a pleasure (laughs) for me to introduce Linda Green today who is the Partnership and Participation Coordinator at a charity uh, called Pinpoint in Cambridge Um, and I'll talk to you well Linda will talk to you a little bit more about what that um, charity entails but for now welcome 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 my lovely (laughs) how are you you today I I am very happy to be here Um, I I think that um, this I'm not surprised you're doing these actually Danielle because it is about breaking down barriers and I know that's all about where you're going to and it's definitely all about where we want to go to as pinpoint but i'm good i'm really good to be here good so you mentioned pinpoint can you tell everybody a little bit about pinpoint but before that what brought you to become the coordinator what brought you to become a person that champions the work that pinpoint does so tell us a bit more about pinpoint and then why you came to be here talking to me today in that roundabout way well, Pinpoint is a teeny tiny charity, but it's it's a mighty force. So we are um, five parents or carers of children with additional needs and disabilities. And it, Pinpoint was a charity that was set up about sort of 11 years ago now um, because so many families were just lost. They were just kind of floating around. Their child had an additional need or they weren't getting on in school because of a learning difficulty or um, their child was born with a, with a disability or acquired one and as a result of injury or illness. And there was just nowhere to get the information from about, so what happens now? You know, wh- where do we go to next? And also sometimes when you find the right professional, they don't always stay in touch. So you're waiting and waiting. So what we try and do is um, make sure that other Parents and carers have got all the information that they need. Um, We may not be able to answer your question straight away, but we will be your detective. You're exhausted enough. We will go away and look into the sort of person you might want to have a chat with and let you know more about them and why. And um, But I think one of the most powerful things about Pinpoint is because we are parents and carers who get it, we know how lonely it can be when your child isn't behaving or uh, following the norm if you like Mm -hmm. of their age group or society or in their classroom or even just out in Tesco just going shopping you know and there's something that's bothering you as a parent and so often you feel it's your fault it's so important you know it's not your fault and you're not the only one it's okay there's loads of us out there and we want to pass on stuff that we found out so that you can go, oh my goodness, you know, there's help out there. But also to let parents know, do you know what? 
it's okay to get that help. Everybody needs some help. And nine times out of 10, even when they're exhausted, they give that to another person, but they find it hard to take it themselves. And I know because I was one of them. So <laughs> Yes. So again, you, you speak with such authority in terms of your knowledge because it sounds as if it's something that you have been through. Obviously, I know your story, Linda. So it is something that you have had to go through yourself. So if you don't mind, can you just share us a little bit, uh, share with us a little bit about your background and what brought you to becoming one of those parents with a wealth of experience? Um, It was an experience that was, you know, put upon me. I I had four children, um, still have four children, amazing, gorgeous children. and I had three girls and then I had a boy and I was delighted obviously that I'd, I'd got a boy and it, it's all true it's that lovely relationship and they were all wonderfully healthy and I was just so blessed so grateful uh, which I still am and um, but when my youngest child Johnny was five he contracted meningitis and um, we were told to say goodbye to him which is certainly not something that any parent should be told that that's what they need to do with their child. And um, I was told that he had 48 hours to uh, live, that um, his chances of survival were so tiny. And um, I'd lost my dad when I was pregnant with him. And um, I just... I remember standing in a corridor and shouting at my dad, you know, I, I didn't lose you to only get five years with Johnny. So you better go and sort that deal out because he's not going anywhere. And um, thankfully he didn't go anywhere. Um, he stayed, but obviously there was a price to pay because the meningitis, um, the septicemia had ravaged his body uh, and his one leg in particular, they managed to save one of his legs, but they had to amputate below the knee on his right leg and um you know while all of this is going on there's three little girls in the background who are being passed between the most wonderful friends and family who were scared and not really understanding what was going on as well they were we tried really hard my um i'd, I'd just like to add my marriage had ended that year as well versa you know but we just were doing shifts with everything and I remember being told that Johnny had 48 hours and that was on the Sunday <coughs> excuse me and on the Thursday I went and found the, found the man that told me to say goodbye to my child and he got 48 hours and I said it's more than 48 hours now just tell me will I take him home one day and he said, well, it's a long journey, but you will take him home one day. And from there, it's like, okay, okay, I know what I'm dealing with. I can get on with that. And we can really just be so grateful for the fact that Johnny is still here. Um, the, the life we lived afterwards was so strange in so many ways. We used to go on nature walks and and do loads of stuff together that was outside and suddenly we've got a wheelchair and it's really difficult but the minute johnny was able to wear a prosthetic leg he was off he was off off. in fact he when he could 
wear his leg. He became so good at hopping that I couldn't catch him when he hit one of his sisters with his prosthetic leg. And he kept saying, I'm kicking her in the bum, mum. You know, he just was off. So he's always been really, really speedy. So he's, all of my children now are, you know, parents themselves. Uh, I'm a grandparent to some amazing, beautiful children. Um, and Johnny is the only one who hasn't got any children. But then that's because he's focusing on sports. And um, he's a Blade Runner now. He's 27 years old. He's a Blade Runner. Um, I've left a massive gap in the middle of what I'm telling you on purpose because I'm going to cover some of this when I talk more about Pinpoint. But um, he is still this sensitive, loving, kind, thoughtful, cheeky, annoying... <laughs> Um, person um, who is not only a Blade Runner but he was like you know the the first disabled person on Strictly and and stuff like that but he has never wanted to be treated differently and this is the point you know Um, I'll give you a tiny anecdote and that was there came a point when I realised that if I made Johnny different to his sisters, you know, it was just me and them, that this could potentially have a negative impact on him as he's still going to have to find his way in the world. And people have got a lot of pity and kindness towards a blonde-haired little boy who's, you know, finding difficulties, I guess. But they don't have the same attitude towards an adult. Yes. So it was so important to prepare him to become an adult just as it was with the girls mm-hmm. so they were helping them with their turn at the washing up then so did johnny and i never forget one day where he decided he what he couldn't do the washing up he was only seven <laughs> i was a hard taskmaster but um he was only seven and it was his turn to do the washing up and he i heard this noise behind me and it was a sort of plonk and his leg was on the floor and he went I can't do the washing up. Mum, I haven't got my leg on. (laughs) So I went, oh, okay. So I grabbed the dining chair, put a cushion on it, put the back against the sink. I said, you can now. Get on there. You know, so he he (laughs) the sink and did the washing up. So I think that that's probably why I'm in this career, because it's about actually we have to find all the ways to prepare our children to be part of a bigger world. I wanted exactly the same things for him as for his sisters. He was entitled to the same things as his sisters. There just appeared to be a much rockier road and a lot of things in the way instead. So my job now is to try and eliminate as many of those kind of obstacles, attach people to the right people so they can do the next thing together. And I am the luckiest person you're ever going to meet. Oh, you do you know what? I've seen pictures of your beautiful family and they truly are beautiful and so blessed to have you as their mum, you know, making sure that all of them are brought up to be, you know, functioning adults, making making their way in the world. And I think it's it's interesting because, you know, we've we've had discussions before where I've 
told you that I make Sebastian or Hermione, you know, do their own ironing and they're at like 11 and 12. People are like, oh, I wouldn't let my kids go near my ironing. And I'm like, it's not because I'm punishing them or because I want the ironing to be perfect. I want them to be able to understand that they've got responsibilities. It's it's to enable them to be to, to grow up empowered to, to do the things that they're going to need to do in their own life. Otherwise, when else are they going to get the opportunity to do that? You can't suddenly chuck them out at, you know, 18, yes, you've heard that, Sebastian Kamani, 18, and learn how to do it. They've never had the opportunity to do so, right? So it's interesting because I used to run, um, I used to work for an organisation called Papworth Trust before this role, and I used to run job clubs to prepare adults who had learning difficulties and learning disabilities to be prepared to go into the world of work. And what was really interesting was they'd come with their parents for a first meeting and they'd say, my child is entitled to a job. And I'm like, absolutely, they are. So what jobs do they do at home? Tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> and in particular, a, the mom was the one who was avoiding eye contact. <laughs> I do it all because I'm helping them. Oh, bless. Yeah. Uh, right. so, and then suddenly, so you're expecting somebody who's already got some learning difficulties to go from naught to 60 so they've done nothing for themselves at home and then suddenly it's like they're entitled to have a job yeah but they don't understand what that responsibility is about because you've never allowed them to sort of grow that thought process so um there's a lot that we need there's so much as parents that we can do to prepare our children with or without um varying degrees of disability and i strongly believe that even the more disabled your child is that if there's the tiniest glimmer of something that they can do for themselves or choose for themselves, absolutely, that's the main thing. That's the fabulous thing to always make sure they're allowed to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That's awesome. So why, and again, I suppose it's a bit of a weird question, but I was unaware of SEN or I remember the first time I ever heard of an SEN was at school with my children. You know, there is a SEN uh, project worker or there is something you can see at school and I kind of never realized that there was this whole kind of other existence for children that found things potentially like you mentioned earlier non-normal and what I mean by that is standard you know in my mind every child needs you know brings forth an individualism in school that needs to be kind of nurtured right but if you have an, an educational need um then how do schools, mainstream schools, pick up on that? And I know that there might be behaviours, for example, that a child might be um, showing that might cause concern for their for their parent. And is that the first kind of route for parents to go down when they recognise difference perhaps at school? How do how do parents, how do people come to you at work or what sorts of things they might come, come to you saying you know is it that their their school isn't support isn't supportive or they don't know what their rights are what kind of what does it look like in terms of the service you've hit the nail on so many heads there because it is all of the above and i think that um you know we have parents who come to us when they are concerned if they've raised something and they're not being listened to or um very often parents you know especially when you're a first first time parent you don't know what is the normal behavior for your child and then you end up comparing to other people and you think oh they're just going to get there in their own time or you know but actually a child is communicating all of the time and so if they're having difficulty in communicating they're going to become emotional about that and they're going to be frustrated with that 
And, you know, it can start from interactions with other children. And I would even say that you're not just talking about when they go to school. I think it's so important the earlier you notice something, the earlier that perhaps you should um, seek a little bit of, of support with that or an understanding of that behaviour even um, to help you. Um, because even in a playgroup setting, um, it's important to notice things. But there are milestones even when a baby's born that they should be kind of hitting their, their, the basic um, milestones. And your health visitor should be picking that up. Somebody should be picking that up in the normal course of events. But it could be other things that come out as they get older. But you are that parent. You are that carer of that wonderful child. And you will know if something isn't quite right. And, and, I, and when I say not quite right, I don't mean that there's a problem necessarily but it could be that they've gone through something emotionally that they're not handling and that that if if they're able to find a way of kind of dealing with that even as a little tot that they may not need extra support later on and I think very often people shy away from asking for additional support and one of the reasons we exist is because there's a difference when the teacher says to you oh, you know, there's some behaviour issues here. Do you think they could need some extra support or have you tried doing this with them or that with them? Because immediately someone says that to me, I'm on the defensive. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'm suddenly thinking I am a good parent. You know, you're, you're, I, I, am I a bad parent? Yeah. But if another parent says to you, oh, you know, have you tried such a thing? And Oh, yeah, they, that happened with me. And when we did, that seemed to really help them. It's different when it comes from another parent. It is. And actually, you said that. I mean, what you just said there is really, really important. And I kind of just want to stay there for a little bit longer. When you mentioned about the fact that when a school might bring up something which doesn't quite gel with an expectation that they may have, then sometimes the interaction with that parent could possibly be done out of what the form says that you need to say or what the form says that you need to do. And perhaps sometimes there's no bedside manner or there's no empathy as to what that might feel like from a parent's point of view. And as a result of that, then, you know, the, the, the communication gets marred. And again, uh, I've got people that I know who have, have had that conversation. The school might have said, well, you know, you need to go to parenting classes. And they're like, what? Like, what do you mean I need to go to parenting classes? You know, I do everything for my child. I love them. This is, what have I done wrong? And that whole blame thing. And I've seen the result of that. You know, we we, we see that all the time. Yeah, we see that all the time. There's two things I, I want to say on that. First of all, a parenting course is a really quite helpful course to a lot of parents when i've asked them a hundred times please change the title because the minute you are sent on a parenting course you're saying that you don't know how to parent properly and that it is your fault which it isn't it absolutely isn't so please try hard not to take it that way but it is that very same thing of if another parent said to you oh i went on a parenting course oh i suddenly twigged that that penny dropped as to why that was happening on a tuesday because on a tuesday this happened they, they've had pe they hate pe they they it's really awful for them and when they come home they're acting out you know 
that's that's one of the things it helps you take some time to explore so they are really good but they're called an appalling <laughs> name but the other thing i want to raise is i am i feel really sorry for teachers and senkos because in mainstream over the course of their teacher training when they had to qualify to become a teacher at uni they had what equates to one afternoon of send training wow. just one afternoon in the whole couple of years three years that they're doing their their training for and they're reducing some training courses now as well so there is a fear with professionals with teachers that they don't know what's going on with your child and that's why it's so important if you can collaborate together to sort of to help your child and to say to the teacher look I know you're trying really hard or I know you've identified something that I've noticed as well and maybe is what can we do in school that would help at home and home and those conversations are so hard to have when you feel like you're in you are a bad parent or you've been judged as such absolutely and it's interesting thank you I, I went on a parenting course when my children were very very young I went on basically any course at the local children's centre at the time uh, put on and one of them was a, was a, was was this parenting I think it was called the parenting puzzle and actually it was like a six-week program and to be fair I went there because they had a crash crash I was tired I had two kids you know under two I was exhausted and they you know they're gonna look after my kids and I get to learn and use my brain a bit and I went on this course and I loved it I thought it was really good and they gave some really good tips um in a in a role that I'd never ever participated in before and obviously like you said nobody writes a, a manual for being, being a parent and there are so many things that we don't know of. And so therefore, you know, with the children who are in mainstream with no additional needs, they have their individual needs. And I do genuinely believe that every child is individual in terms of their education and schooling, etc. And that's another conversation. But without any special educational needs, um, my, my children, I found it tough enough navigating those waters. So therefore, if you do have children with additional needs and stepping out of the... The, the norm, if you like, of peers that aren't perhaps going through that by yourself leads through to the next question, which is stigma. So there's a lot of stigma attached to people or young people, children having additional needs and parents perhaps not wanting to talk about it because they might not be understood or because they might be given advice that's not really relevant to them. Um, what is the stigma around um SEN and I remember you and I talked about conversation about when uh, Johnny was was younger you know and some of the things that you went through as a mum because of his difference and that being picked up by peers what's the stigma around children who need that extra support? Um, it's really interesting because one of the, the behaviour behaviour is the is the massive massive thing that can either make a child's journey easier or or not interestingly for example johnny has one leg if he wears shorts he has understanding and people treat him differently and they accommodate him more but if he has trousers on 
they, they forget and they, they expect him to be able to cope with every other situation. And interestingly, that's exactly what he did on Strictly, for example, to try and break down these stigmas. Because on Strictly, he knew if he was wearing his blade all the time or a pole for a leg, that he could get more votes because that would be the sympathy votes. So he only wore his blade twice out of eight sessions. Wow. Eight programs because he wanted people to forget he wanted people to treat him the same the fact that he couldn't tuck his bum under because his spine goes a different way he kept getting criticized by the judges for every week but he wanted that rather than he, he was like judge me the same as everybody else and this is the problem we judge by what we see regardless of our intention and we're trying so how good people even do do such things you know and we a child is a child and they are struggling regardless and so are their parents especially when their child isn't accepted in the same way so if your child's in a mainstream school the chances of them coming up against being uh, about the issue of their difference is every lesson every lunchtime every break time even going into school in the mornings the anxieties are different the sensitivities are different, so the light, what they're touching, how things feel, you know. And then when they explode in anger, or it appears to be anger, it's literally the pot boiling over with all of that emotion. A lot of our parents say that, you know, the school says, oh, they're fine in school, I don't understand the problem. But at home, it explodes because they've kept the lid on mm. for all the things they're having to fight against every single day. So quite often there is a different behaviour at home than there is at school because home's a safe place to, to let it out. But the stigma is real and it's not just for that child. It can be for the siblings as well. And when I told you about, you know, Johnny used to be so angry and, and he was he he liked a girl but she called him peg leg and things as, as well so he got all that going on and he used to close the door in in my daughter's friend's faces or shut them in a cupboard under the stairs once to remember um <clears throat> and they they would go to school and talk about my daughters and say don't go over to becca's house her bro brother's a nutter you know and it's just and so my girls were very defensive yeah. and upset and were going through anxiety and trauma and stress themselves. So it's a knock-on effect to the entire family. And if you have one child that has additional needs, the whole family is impacted by that. Absolutely. And I don't think people <clears throat> quite recognise their reaction to that has a greater effect than just that look in the playground. Mm. It, the parents take that home with them. Yeah, they do. You're listening to It Is What It Is, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode as we strive to bring you interesting conversations about the things that really matter. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. But for now, let's get back to that conversation. And actually, that leads me on to a question that I've often thought about myself when I, um, and actually I was speaking to Julie before uh, today, and she talked about the word equity in terms of equality right so giving everybody equal opportunity and there is a stigma attached to schools for example where they are special schools you know looking after children with special needs and there is a taboo about that and there's a, there's a stigma around well I'm not going to send my child to a special needs school they're going to have to cope in a mainstream school 
And I'm, I've always been interested, and again, this is not my area of expertise, so therefore it is an opportunity for me to learn. Why do you think there may be a stigma around sending children to a school which is more equipped to deal with their needs than that of a mainstream school where because of the difference and because of the fact that there are not going to be many children who have the same needs that they may not be met in the same way so why why do we have a stigma and I know the answer but I want you to say it what why do we have this stigma around places which are safe where we can invite people to go to where their needs are expected rather than going to a school, for example, where they, they are going to be different and it is going to cause problems. Is that stigma? It is such an interesting situation because I think we've, we've inherited a lot of, um, you know, there were special schools for children who were quite profoundly disabled, but special needs schools these days are wonderfully uh, involved in the community. They have so much... But I can totally understand why a parent would be like horrified if they, it was recommended that their child attend a special needs school, just as I was horrified when somebody suggested I apply for disability living allowance for Johnny. And I said, he's not disabled. Because I think it's back to us as parents, isn't it? We want the same opportunities and the same life. We may not recognise that actually we need something else to enable that. So with Johnny getting a bit of DLA, it meant I could have, we had a mobility car that meant we could drive somewhere and he could still walk through the, go on nature walks with us because his leg didn't hurt. And because he hadn't had to walk all the way to the nature reserve, mm -hmm. we had a, a car, we, he could go to football after school because I could take him to the village school, you know, um, in a, in a special needs schools now, they have teachers who are trained to understand the needs and emotions. They are able to understand somebody's hormones and puberty, which is a big one when you're trying to explain to an autistic child around the changes in their body. They have people who are medically trained. So if your child has seizures or if there are other issues that are going on for them that need specialist care, that's on hand. And, and in all honesty, if somebody has an accident at school, you've got all these trained professionals as well, yeah. you know. But I think they have changed hugely, but they're still kind of locked in. So there's still a little bit of a myth. People don't quite know what to expect behind those doors. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think I can understand why it's hard for parents. And certainly if a school suggested that your child needs to go to a special needs school, you suddenly think, oh my God, that's it. Their lives are going to be different forever. Mm. The truth is they may come out better equipped than the child who isn't doing the washing up because at that school they'll be doing washing up. That's, they'll be it. that's it, Linda. And that's for me is that whole breaking down stigma associated with asking for help, recognising that you need help. And at the end of the day, maybe coming out of that experience better equipped and it's interesting because obviously as you know I, I do I deliver mental health first aid training as well and I know that it is a completely separate matter so before anybody rings in or calls or texts it is a completely different subject I do appreciate that but it's the same when I'm talking about people that go to physical hospitals for physical injuries yeah. have no problem whatsoever in going to the hospital you know it's expected it's no stigma attached to that but going to a mental hospital for a mental health <laughs> 
you know, we don't talk about that. There is stigma associated with, with that. But these are places that are designed to be able to help somebody who's poorly in their mind. And there is a stigma associated with that, even though that is often the best place for somebody to go to to become better. You know, and it is about that position for me of storytelling and explaining that, you know, there is a there is another way. There is an alternative. The help doesn't need to be scorned or looked at, frowned upon. Help is what we all need as human beings, regardless of what your need is. You know, asking for support, recognizing that you need support and help is for me one of the most fantastic ways of enabling empowerment right enabling you to to become empowered in the life that you that you you lead and so i think there's still some work to be done perhaps around that and maybe that's where you guys as an organization come in as well perhaps the thing is pinpoint is able to it's not an either or it's not a you go to a mainstream school or you go to a special needs school because your child could go to a mainstream school and yes, there may be issues that they're struggling with within that setting, but actually there's loads of other organisations out there that would help with their social skills, that would help with um, their thought processing and, and understanding lots more ways that, that people can develop. So, for example, we are we work alongside loads of other charities. So we never, ever say you don't need a diagnosis to come to us. If you've got a question, if you are worried about your child, then your child has a need. And if they have an additional need, even if it's for six weeks or something, we're here to help. And so we work with, we don't fix anything for anybody and we don't um, take on cases. But what we do is say, based on what you're telling me, there are a few suggestions that I think is worth having a chat with. And it could be that your child ends up going to a youth club or a kids group or an art group or a, um, a a nature group or something that's separate to school that helps them develop that. A lot of, um, I know one, one of our mums is a karate um, expert and she does lots of sessions for children who have additional needs because her own children have additional needs. And she understands how the calming, how the, the, it, it's got a pattern to it. It's very calming. It's about physical outlet because a lot of children on the autistic spectrum, for example, need physical getting out, which is why lockdown's been horrendous yeah, yeah. because that physical getting out there has been, has, it's been almost impossible for so many. Mm, really? and, and the patterns have changed. Well, their daily patterns have changed and the, the help that's available has changed but is still there. So all of the support services that were available before lockdown, most of them are still functioning. Many of them like Pinpoint have had to adapt. So we do all of our sessions online now. All of Pinpoint sessions are free and they are based on the feedback that parents give us. So if we have parents coming to us and they say, you know, we've we've got trouble with our children getting to sleep, We'll go, okay, we'll find one of our, our sleep practitioners and we'll ask them to run a workshop. And that's exactly what we did last week. We had, you know, nearly 30 parents attending and they were like, oh, hang on a minute. I didn't know I was doing that. And it's simple things like, you know, you put your child to bed and then you say, you know, are you okay? So not worry about you. How was your day? And then you just read them a story and now you're asking about all the things that they're worried about <laughs> most. And then you wonder why they go get to like, <laughs> But having the time out in our sessions with other parents to go, I see, I get it now. 
it's it's so so good the other thing that we've been providing all the way through is um i host a friday morning session and it is a 10 to 12 drop-in coffee morning um it's called a tea hub and it's spelled t-i-i because it stands for together we have information not isolation anyone can come to it within minutes you'll see on the screen people are people say something and then loads of heads start nodding and then someone else says something and more heads start nodding and then and then you go to the new parent and say well, you know are you happy to introduce yourself and they're so happy to introduce themselves because suddenly they belong there's people yeah. who understand you get it they found and their that, tribe exactly and pinpoint if you could condense this into one sentence it is to reduce the isolation that families are feeling because it is a lonely journey and to give you the information you need so that your child has the best childhood possible and you remember that you're not a carer you're a parent you're parenting this amazing individual child mm. and to look for those moments of their uniqueness and just enjoy them yeah. and hopefully help you get a little bit more sleep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just go with it. And I think that's the thing about parenting, as I you know, especially from my point of view, and I can only speak about a parent from my position, but to look at all of those wonderful, tiny, minuscule bits of them in, in amongst the hardness of it. Because it is hard, it is tough having children, but it's also amazing. And they are amazingly unique individuals that are growing and we're nurturing them. And it is the most amazing thing I've ever done as a parent. And God knows I've, I've moaned and whinged about it. But fundamentally, when you are bringing up your kids and you see those moments and, you know, I've done that. You know, I did that. Yeah. I did yeah. that. They're amazing. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Can you imagine, though, raising your children, Danielle, but never meeting another parent of children? No. So you, you, so if you suddenly, if you have a child that has additional needs or a disability, and you're the only one who, that, that's that feeling. So you don't know what. Who, what to do what am I doing this right you know where do I go for help you had never met another parent you wouldn't have anything to go by so the minute you meet other parents you go oh that's normal and and when we're talking about the uniqueness of our children I can guarantee you that the, exactly the same things that I absolutely adore about my children are the same things that drive me crazy so you know <laughs> Linda, I'm so glad you said that though, because my husband and I had a conversation a couple of months ago and I said to him, the things that I'm finding really frustrating and difficult about my children are the things that I believe are going to make them really awesome adults. <laughs> so they are strong willed and they, oh, they yes. want and all of that. And I'm like, man, that's going to be really good. And I get it that they're just practicing on me, but goodness, it's not, it's, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> Johnny's as fast as he is why he's got gold medals and breaking world records because he doesn't know when to quit <laughs> and, and that goes for when he's sitting in the car with you and he's playing yellow car punch on my, on my arm you know he's like he, and I'm like wait you're stuck. he doesn't know when to quit so it, I, I just I just think you know sometimes you just gotta take a breath exhale and go do you know what I'm doing my best if I don't have to do it on my own, that would be great. And if I could find out more that helps me understand it, 
Mm. That would be even better. Yeah, and you've just said there, and actually it's interesting because I have seen people who, and I've had conversations with friends of mine, and they've had they have they are the parents of children with behavioural needs or you know special additional needs, and it's the other it's the other judgment from other parents that that's really painful for them and you know as adults we we don't want to be judged by anybody it's painful especially when it's so blatant and I remember very very long long time ago I was talking about kind of being in the supermarket and I, I remember Hermione my, my baby she was only about nine months and she's kicked off in she would not stop crying and I had her in a car seat and her brother, who was probably two at the time, was throwing a wobbler. And I've got these two kids screaming their heads off in the middle of Sainsbury's. And these people kind of were looking at me tutting as if I couldn't keep <laughs> control. And I remember having a half a trolley full of stuff. And I picked my kids up and I walked out and I left my trolley in the middle of the, of the, of the corridor. And I went and sat in the car and burst into tears because I had been so so blatantly judged as a mum because my kids were crying I mean they weren't doing anything else it was just crying and that ease of of judgment that, that was radiating from other people was so profoundly uncomfortable for me as a mum I was devastated by that and I remember kind of speaking to a friend of mine the other day and she said you know with her child sometimes he will kick off you know and his behavior becomes quite um uh, not aggressive that's the wrong word but quite out there you know and he he becomes a bit he starts hitting her or something like that and she has her control mechanism she knows exactly what she's got to do but it takes time and patience whereas everybody else is looking with this disdain that they they can't even be bothered to hide and I'm just so I, I, I find that so uncomfortable on her behalf and I you know and I'm just like man society chill your boots you know stop with the judgment why why, why be that way? You know, and I suppose it kind of goes back to that whole stigma thing. If you don't know somebody's journey, then don't judge. And, and it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, Johnny wearing the trousers one time or wearing the, if, if somebody realises a child has a disability, then they're quite often more tolerant and more understanding. But if it's a hidden disability, which the most, you know, if your child is autistic or on, on any spec, it is hidden. So unless you're going to wear a big placard, you know, which why, why on earth should we? I mean, for some people, um, when their children are younger, um, prior to secondary school, you can get something called a sunflower a lanyard. So that is something that, um, for example, if you're at an airport or if you're in um, shops, um, the, assist, the shop assistants will help you. They will help, you know, your child. They will um, make your, your life a bit easier in Tesco's or let make your life easier at the airport and help you not have to wait so long and things like that. Um, but then when you, your kids get to secondary school, very often, you know, they don't want to identify that they've got a hidden disability at all. Um, but there may be things like such as wearing the masks at the moment, you know, from a sensory perspective, that might be something that's just absolute torture for a child. So they are exempt from having to wear it, but then, should they have to wear a lanyard that says I'm different? It's a really, mm. and, and I think what this comes down to again is saying, do you know what? It's okay. I'm going to make a choice. You know, either if my, if I take my child, child to Tesco's and I'm getting these looks and I hate it, then my child who's, you know, six or seven, might be chuffed to bits with a sunflower lanyard and how, how great is that? And they want to wear it and therefore people cut them a bit more slack and you're able to cope with Tesco's a bit better. Personally, it was so horrendous for me with Johnny. I used to pay a babysitter 
Wow, okay. Because actually, I loved shopping. <laughs> I loved shopping. Working out my bargains and my budget and things like this. So that was my choice of doing it that way. Because it it absolutely, it was so hard. And I just couldn't have my beautiful boy judged all the time like that. Um so I, I, I avoided it. And, but then that's, some people might say, no, you should go out there and be proud. But actually, I was tired. And you've got to do the shopping. Yes. Yeah. No, exactly. It's a practical yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, I get it. And it is. And I, I suppose for me, it is that whole, there's something I do when I'm teaching called the frame of reference, which talks about your experiences, your window of the world, you know, what brought you to where you are today. And that's fine, but also appreciating that every single other person has their own. And therefore it's going to be profoundly unique to them. And you can't judge me because you have no idea where I have been. And so it's about building, for me, it's about building that empathy piece and to make people aware that, you know, everybody, that there is difference. There is a massive, massive difference in our lives. And to be aware of that, right? Yeah. But but on that note as well, you know, let's not be cross with people who don't get it as well. Yeah. You know, if we can cut them a bit of slack and think, yeah, mate, if you were walking a day in my shoes, you'd be, you know, but but actually um, they probably got something else that's making them like that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you just never know what's going on behind there. And even, you know, the teachers who are doing their best, who haven't had the training, maybe having a marriage breakup or may have, you know, a sick parent or, you know, we've all got other stuff as well. Yeah, so just so, be kind. People be kind. Yes. Oh, just 100% because that cuts across everybody. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Lovely. Right. So, um, I just want to kind of round up our conversation, but what I want to try and get from this next couple of uh, sentences, if you like, is if a parent has any kind of inkling that perhaps their child is in need of support, and I've signposted so many people to it's unbelievable, but um, what's their kind of, what, what's their next play? What do you, what, what, not advice, but what support or what information would you suggest that they do? Is it contacting the school from the first off? Is it contacting organisations like yourself? Is it the doctor? What's the best way to kind of enter you, into that journey? You've literally listed the three things I was going to suggest. Yeah. <laughs> if your child's already at school, your first best place is to, to speak to the teacher and to say, look, you know, I know you're doing your best with my child, but actually I've got some concerns. And, you know, do you share those concerns? Are you finding that at school or is it just at home? Is there something that, you know, and try and have that conversation. And, but before you have it, gird your loins. Okay. You may end up feeling like, you know, they're saying it's your fault or you're a bad parent. They're not, but they are um, struggle, probably struggling to help your child in that session as well. So the more they can, you can have a conversation around your child, the better. That's definitely the first point of raising it. Every school has somebody called a Senko. So they have somebody who is all about the SEN needs. And sometimes they're the person to have a chat with as well, because they may say, oh, perhaps they need a little bit more assistance in that lesson or in that activity, but don't need somebody attached to them like Velcro the whole day. You know, it just may be they can identify where the issues actually are. Your doctor, if your child's, excuse me, a little one and they're not hitting those milestones, 
<coughs> excuse me, or if your child's a teenager and they're, they're having some real anxiety and some issues, for example, um, start with your doctor and have a chat with them. But also, don't be afraid to say that you're struggling as well. Yes, you've gone to the doctor about the concerns you've got for your child, but the chances are you're worrying about them. You've got anxiety. Always make sure you're looking after yourself when you're doing this as well. It's just so important. And thirdly, if you just want to talk to other parents and sound it out and go, what is that kind of, come and join us. Come and join us on a Friday morning or email us or just you know, like us on Facebook so that you can see all of our sessions or come along to something and realise that you're not alone, okay? Whatever it is you're feeling, you're not the only one feeling that. And you know what you are doing brilliantly and responding reasonably to quite unreasonable circumstances. So don't do it on your own. There is support. Thank you so much, Linda. Guys, you heard it. If you think that you need any kind of support if you're not sure if you've got any questions drop in give pinpoint a call they are more than happy to take your call and like linda mentioned signposting you or just you know putting you in touch with other parents because it is so important that you do feel that you're not on your own we will just listen we will just listen anything you want to say we will just listen to you okay because you you matter you really do matter. And it's what you do, don't underestimate it. It's just incredible. And you're the one constant in your child's life, regardless of everything else around that changes, you are the constant. So don't be afraid to look after yourself. Put that telly on, get that cuppa on and spoil yourself for five <laughs> minutes and do something that you want because you are doing the most incredible job. Be proud of that. Excellent. Thank you so much, Linda. That's a fan fantastic tip so to hear that people make sure that you look after yourself it is so key so that you guys keep yourself nice and strong so that you can be there for for our for our children so on that note um linda can you just tell everybody where they can find your details so if you've got a website address or absolutely we have a, we've got a website which is www.pinpoint hyphen cams.org.uk and on there you can find so many things it's it's, it's really simple website it's hopefully you can just find your way around it if you can't find your way around it just send us an email at the info app bit or or go onto our facebook page which honestly the, the best thing probably to get a feel for who we are it's just like us on Facebook. I haven't touched Facebook till I joined Pinpoint because I'm of that generation that didn't want to know. But, but it pops up with things all the time just to keep you informed. And we share like government information. We share local information. And we let you know what, you know, the, the latest, latest updates all the time so that you, you can get the information that you need all the time. But please just check us out. Absolutely. And, and know that you're welcome to anything that we offer. Thank you. And what I'll do it of, of, after like all of our shows is I'll put the details 
and on the link on, on the podcast as well. So you'll be able to have a direct link to Linda and the team there at Pinpoint. But otherwise, Linda, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been so awesome catching up, as it always is. But thank you very much for your expertise and your time. And um, I'll also be putting up a picture of uh, Linda's wonderful children. Uh, I love that photo you've, you've sent in with us. So yeah, I'll, I'll be showing everybody as well. But thank you so much. You take care and we'll speak soon. been listening to the it is what it is podcast presented by daniel bridge and produced by defresh productions <laughs>